Hi, my name's Mark Kelly. I'm one of the leaders at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. You join us as we're journeying through the Gospel of Mark, and we're asking the question, Who is Jesus? A simple question with many answers. For more information about us and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. We've been going through Mark's Gospel. Um, Kate, I'm not quite sure about this, but she described Mark's Gospel yesterday as the Gospel for men. Um, I think what she was alluding to was the fact that uh, this Gospel, it's um, action-packed, it's fast-paced, it tells stories, you know, the kind of thing that keeps us fellas engaged. Um, but that's, that's what this gospel is like. What we've got here is, um, and I, a lot of scholarship has agreed on this, is uh, Peter's eye view. So it's, it's pretty well a first-hand account that Mark is giving to us in listening to uh, the things which Peter himself witnessed throughout the course of his own walk with the Master. Uh, this thing, as we... We've seen in the graphic that it, it's full of um, the miracles, uh, the teachings, the confrontations, the uh, you know it's just full of action, and uh, in all of that, in all of the activity, what we see is Jesus pulling together this group of his twelve disciples. Later, they called them apostles that he was training by being with him. And he was training them to enter into this mission of hope and love that he represented to the world. And then, of course, after having made the perfect sacrifice, I I loved what uh, Sarah shared with us that time, uh, how she helped us to see this all in the context of what God had been leading up to through the Old Testament Scriptures, how Jesus fulfilled the perfect sacrifice. He then entrusted this mission to these men. And that's kind of the story of Mark's Gospel. And what I want us to do today is to just take this headline question that we've been asking in the course of the last few weeks Who is Jesus? I'm going to read and um, then we'll kind of dive into that question. So if you would go with me please to Mark's Gospel and it's chapter 4, verse 35. And I'm just going to read six or so verses. It's a story which is very familiar to us. It's one where... Um, Jesus has been, uh, all day, he has been teaching the crowds. Um, I think it was the adult life group, wasn't it, who brought us the message about Jesus as a supreme teacher. But interestingly, after, you know, when Jesus has been healing, uh, teaching and healing in the synagogue, uh, the crowds, they say about this that they're hearing, they say, is this some new teaching? 
Because it's coming with an authority. And actually, no. It's not new teaching. It's just all the stuff they'd ever heard being activated. All the things that were there in their Jewish scriptures, Jesus was suddenly putting out there and saying, this is it. This is what it means to you. So Jesus has been amongst the crowds. He's been teaching them all day. And um, it gets to evening time. And we start here in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I'm just going to read you, um, if you're making notes, this is Psalm 65, verse 5 to 7, and now I'll just read you one verse from Psalm 89, verse 9. It says in Psalm 65, verse 5, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, you stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. And then Psalm 89, it says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Who is Jesus? This is the question that this whole series has been leading to. And in a sense, the answer is already there. We've heard um, Peter's own confession. Uh, it's in Mark 8 where he says, You are the Christ. This is who you are. And Matthew, he elaborates on that. Peter's confession actually is this. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. So, question, who is Jesus? Answer, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Mark actually begins his gospel, verse 1, chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
So there you have it. There's the answer to the question. Um, brilliantly, this passage that we've just read in Mark 4, it kind of condenses both of those things. Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as the Son of the living God. It condenses them both into this one event. Well, we need, to, we need to understand where this was all coming from. And I just want to talk for a moment about the whole of the Jewish scriptures, the background to this story. Uh, we've been declaring this morning that Jesus is our Saviour, God is our Saviour, but that was not new news. God had been the saviour of Israel for centuries. He was demonstrating to them through their history that that is who he was. If you just... I, I, I just this is where I, I really want us to grasp some understanding of how the Bible helps us. The Old Testament has got two huge themes that kind of arc right the way through. Um, one is this theme of rescue and deliverance. Uh, if you think about, uh, first of all, the Exodus, it's kind of all there in that, in that picture in Israel's own history, that God delivered them as a nation out of oppression and slavery and he brought them into freedom. And what he's doing all the time, he's saying, I am your saviour and my chosen means of saving you is the Messiah. So we have, in Moses, we have the type, we have the prototype, if you like, of the Messiah. So it's God who is the saviour and his means is the Messiah. And you see it all the way through Israel's history. You see through the period as they come into the land of Israel, you know how it's so up and down, they kind of, they're, um, one minute they're kind of on God, the next they're not, and you know, they're kind of, uh, they're losing it, and they find themselves frequently under oppression from the surrounding nations and tribes, and all the time God is working. He's bringing them, he'll bring them judges, who lead them back to God, who lead them out of the oppression that is being placed upon them. You get it with um, when finally Israel is taken into exile, into Babylon. All as a, uh, a declaration of God's judgment upon the way in which the nation had simply walked away. And through the, the practices and everything else that they'd allowed to come in, into their midst, God still says, I am your saviour. And from the exile, he sends them princes, prophets, priests, to lead them back out of exile, back into the land that he had intended for them. And so all the way through, God is showing himself to be Israel's 
saviour. And his means is the Messiah. And at the time we come to in this story, here is the nation under the heel of imperial Rome and the nation is crying out under the duress of being hosts to the foreign invader and simply, God, we need you to come up with the goods. We need your salvation. That passage I read in Psalm 65, it begins, You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God, our Saviour. So here we have this first great theme that comes through the Old Testament. I am your Saviour and my Messiah is the one to lead you out of fear, slavery, oppression, being downtrodden. He is the one who will lead you out. The second great theme that comes through in Old Testament is this. It's that of tabernacle and temple. And you're... Stay with me. Stay with me. You'll get this. What God was doing as he brought them out of the land of Egypt, which in, our, in, in Bible symbol terms is the world, as he, brings, as he leads them out from the world, what does he do? He leads them into a place where he gives them his covenant. He, he binds himself to them as a nation. And right there, in that wilderness setting, he says, I want you to build a tabernacle. And this place is to be a place where the manifest presence of your king the Lord God will rest in your midst amongst you. And that practice of the tabernacle traveled with them out of the wilderness into the land of promise. It was established as part of their national life and it was where God himself dwelt in person. Subsequently, tabernacle, this temporary structure, becomes temple. And that, you remember the, um, the inauguration of the temple. The presence of God fills the place. So much so that the priests could not stand to minister. And what God is saying is, through their, and remember this, Old Testament is just a shadow. It's only a picture of the reality that's to come. That what God is saying is that I, your king, will come and I will dwell in your midst. My presence will fill your life permanently. I want to be amongst you. I want to express myself in you and through you. So what we have here is God 
throughout centuries of Old Testament literature and practice and prophesying, saying, I am your Savior, and I will send my Messiah. I am your King, and I will come, and I will live with you and in you. Now, what's the point of all that? Well, Jesus, on this particular occasion, he stands in the face of the storm and he does something that in Old Testament terms immediately connects him to both of those things. Psalm 65, you, God our Saviour, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Jesus stands in the boat and he said, and he, he, without a word, he's manifesting himself as God's Messiah, Savior. Through an act of demonstration where he brings nature itself into peace. That second psalm I read from, where it simply says this, you rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up, you still them. The prophetic context of Psalm 89 is this, the establishment of an eternal throne. So Jesus is standing in a boat out on the Lake Galilee in the face of a storm and what he's unveiling is Jesus is Messiah, the Messiah promised through the whole of their Old Testament history, the whole Jewish narrative. He's standing in the boat and he's declaring through an act, your king is in your midst. Who is Jesus? You know, you know the word Christ it's not a name, it's who he is, it's Messiah. Christ equals Messiah. The gospel begins, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Messiah. This is who he is. Your saviour is here. Son of God, um, just let me go somewhere else with you on this one. Remember, Jesus is standing there in the face of the storm. And through what he does, he reveals himself to be the manifest king in their midst. Do you remember his baptism? Those who are there, they hear a voice. This is my son. Remember that? This is my son, my beloved son. In him... I am well pleased. Well, the Old Testament has a parallel, Psalm 2, where it says this, God declares again prophetically, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, 
Today I have become your father. So right from the point where Jesus appears in public ministry with the seal of God spoken, not just in his own hearing, but in those around him, you are my son, it suddenly draws in all of this prophetic weight. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. It's fantastic, isn't it? So here, we, we have it in this, this simple, I say simple story, dramatic story. This Jesus representing himself as Israel's saviour and her king. Now, so what? <laughs> it spent a day teaching. Um, and he says to the disciples, let's, let's go over to the other side. And so, and there's this little line in there. It says, um, they took him in the boat just as he was. Little did they know. I just want to throw this out to us. Um, your boat may be all kinds of shapes. Um, and let it be said, sometimes that boat feels like it's getting swamped, right? We come under pressure. I mean, we heard from Rebecca this morning. I don't know what's been going on for you guys, but obviously there's been something happening. And sometimes it feels like the boat that we're in actually is going down under the pressure. You know, that the, the storm's breaking over it. There's stuff happening around us. And I just want to say this. Who's in your boat? Your saviour. The one who has expended his own life to rescue you is in your boat. Somebody once said, you know, um, Lord, don't you care that we're drowning? Um, that is some question to ask the saviour of the world. But seriously, guys, who is in your boat? Is he the saviour that you know? Who is in your boat? Is it the king, the manifest presence of the king? Is he in your boat? It's, it's, we kind of go through life, don't we? And we face up to these kind of things. But sometimes we just need to come back to some basics and say, yeah, Jesus, I, don't, I know all the stuff that's going on around me, but you are here. You are with me. Um, I kind of want to make this a bit more practical. Um, to bring a little bit more application to this. I want to just look at how um, <laughs> the various reactions to, these, to the storm that's going on. Um, this won't take me long. Um, first of all, I'd just like to look at how Jesus deals with the storm. Uh, you notice, you know, as this thing is welling up around them. I, I mean, have you ever been in a, 
a really fierce storm. You know, when the elements seem to be crashing around you, whether it's, you know, the thundering and lightning storm. Have you ever been under canvas when it's raining or when there's, you know, when there's really fierce, you know, that's the kind of stuff that they would have been experiencing. You can imagine if they had the sails up on the boat, that would have been, the noise would have been horrendous, you know. Um, Anybody who has a fear of of, uh, water, forget it. I mean, that would have been panicked stations. Uh, because water was washing into the boat. And these were guys who were familiar with those kind of conditions, but they were terrified. Um, the, uh, I imagine the, the noise of, of the wind, and uh, I guess there was lightning and uh, thunder. You know, there's all this stuff going on around him. And what's happening? He's asleep. Something is keeping him. In other words, the storm that was going on around him was not enough to disturb the peace that was in his own heart. So he could sleep in the midst of the turmoil, the noise, the threat, and what the, you know the the uh, the emotions of those disciples, the fear that was in them. He could still sleep. And uh, having been woken up, he stands up and he, he, he rebukes the wind. Interesting, same word that is used when Jesus confronts the demons. Um, and it literally means to, to muzzle or to throttle off. So, in effect, what he did, he withdrew permission for the wind and the waves to have any more freedom to reign. You notice the very first miracle that Jesus, um, according to Mark's Gospel, the very first miracle was this. It was where he's in the synagogue and he's confronted by the man with demons and he rebukes the demon and what you get is this is the um, clash in that first miracle this clash of kingdoms the question really is this who, who reigns and it's quite clear who reigns because what he does he brings <clears throat> the rule that is in him over what is outside so he rebukes the wind throttles it off and it's again really interesting when you read the language that's used Um, in effect what he did he put a charge upon the wind he he brought his will to bear over the natural elements not only that um, there was the word that is used is a Greek word, and it, I, can't, I don't know whether I'm saying it right, but it's spelled epitimeo. Epitimeo. And the, th- the force of it is this, that he was moving towards the thing that he was confronting. So something was coming from him towards that which he was faced with. 
I just want to suggest to you that the reality, the life that was in him was bigger than whatever the demons could marshal against him. And what he was doing was he was releasing what was in himself to bring a, a charge over the wind and the waves. And so he's able to say to the waves, be still. And the same peace that he'd been asleep in is now what he's releasing over the waves. And so you get this wonderful expression, don't you, where it says, the wind died down and it was completely calm. That's how to deal with the storm. Now, the response of the disciples is also instructive because it gives us options, right? Um, and the options are these. Uh, panic, uh, pray, and the last one, which I really want to kind of finish on, is this one, partner. Um, Panic is a normal, natural human response to stuff which is rocking your boat. Um, I've been out on... Uh, I've, a friend of mine foolishly one day invited me to go sailing with him. I'd never crewed in a you know, sailing boat before. And um, as we were making our way, tacking, I think is the term. Is that right? Any sailors here? Tacking across... You know, against the wind. Well, um, at one point, I'm thinking we need to be going the other way. So I dived across the boat, at which point the whole thing kind of went like this. And uh, I really, really thought this thing was going to capsize. Um, my friend would not have been happy. Um, but I remember the feelings, I remember how I felt. It was involuntary, it surged up within me. This feeling of panic. And I'm saying that is natural, it's normal, it is human. That's one option. Um, fortunately, the disciples, they, they moved beyond panic. And so they did what most of us would do. They go, God! Which uh, is an abbreviated form of praying. They turn to Jesus and wake him up and say, look, come on, don't you care? Um, have you ever prayed those kind of prayers? Yeah. Again, it's an option. Um, God invites us to pray. He, I'm, I'm not knocking prayer. I'm just simply saying that uh, prayer is one part of our response when we face the storms. But I want to come to the third one. Uh, have you ever asked yourself this question? When Jesus says to them, why? He's almost incredulous, isn't he? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I mean... They were still terrified. I don't think they, got, they, they really got past phase one. I think panic still gripped them. Um, they were still terrified, except now they were even more terrified because they'd suddenly seen this man rule the waves and the wind. So 
terror was now double strength. Um, but just step back with me a moment, step back. These are the men that Jesus had called to himself, as Pete reminds us, Pete Topless, a few weeks ago, called himself to be with him. And what he'd done was he had given them a charge to go and preach the kingdom, to cast out the demons, to heal the sick, and so on. And at their own hands and at their own voice, they had witnessed the authority which Jesus had given them. And these are the same men in the boat with him who previously had seen the manifestation of the kingdom of God through the authority that Jesus had imparted to them. And I think that's why Jesus was saying to them, have you still no faith? Now that all kind, kind of sounds negative and I don't want to leave it there because I believe what Jesus is instructing us in is this. He had called them, those 12 men, to first of all to be with him, to learn from him, but then to partner with him in this incredible mission of love and hope that is the product, the outward working of the kingdom of God. And so what he's done is to include them in his mission and he's about to go on and entrust them with this business after he's left. So it's critical that he has partners who know just what they're supposed to be doing. And I want to suggest this to us today and this is where I want to leave it. That um, very often, when we face the challenges, the trials, and the storms of life, very often our real instinct is survival. Is that correct? We just want to get through it. But I believe that God allows those things in our lives because he has a higher goal. He didn't just call us for survival. He has called us to be partners with him in this mission of filling the earth with his glory. And in order to do that, we have to learn how to rule in the circumstances. Now, please, I really want to stress this. I'm not speaking to you as, as one who has mastered the art. What I am doing is saying, please, can we together travel on this journey of becoming and being partners in the mission of God. And that will entail that we face the storms, we face the challenges. But, first of all, we know who he is. We know who's in the boat. And knowing who's in the boat, we are then prepared to be partners with him and saying, Jesus, you've blessed me and honoured me with the privilege of doing this in your name. Will you walk with me in it? Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say, I'm sorry. We give 
second chances to anyone. We also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. And we give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we love.